Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Tuesday. I just learned today that it was Tuesday. I, I've been spending, I spent the entire day thinking it was Wednesday, because that's just how I roll. You guys know, I can't keep track anymore with all the kids and the, the libertarian drama going on and my job, and it's a lot. It's a lot to take in at once, so who who has uh, the capacity to remember what day it is? Uh, but I hope you guys are having a wonderful Tuesday. Uh, we got a great show for you guys tonight. Let's start off with some sponsors. Of course, we have TopLobster.com, the man, the myth, the legend, my good friend and partner on Break the Cycle, where you can get this great fuck around and find out Lady Liberty hoodie that you see me wearing tonight by using BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Or you can go over to my Patreon, subscribe star. Both of those are uh, forward slash Break the Cycle JS. Or you can join my YouTube channel under all my videos by hitting the join link where you can get into the private Discord server and get up to 30% off of all of Top Lops's new gear when it comes out at uh, like two weeks before it goes to the general population. So really, really good stuff. Uh, the man makes quality gear. If you've seen Top Lop, I'm sure if you've been to any Liberty events over the last year or so, you've seen Top Lops of gear everywhere. The man's amazing. He's great. Go check him out. But of course, executive producers of the show, AnthemPlanning.com, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Check them out today. See what they can do for your business, home, or personal life. They're doing a wonderful job that the government has historically historically sucked at much cheaper and much more efficiently. Guys, seriously, if you own a business, go check them out. As soon as the show's over, become a member of the channel. Come watch the uh, members-only stream that follows all of my live streams uh, where we talk about all the important issues that you guys want to hear about uh, uh, at a very, very cheap monthly rate. Um, and then go check out anthemplanning.com because they're going to be able to do something awesome for you. I promise you. It's definitely worth a check out. Uh, guys, we have a great show for you tonight. I'm very excited. I, I'm excited. I, I get excited for shows. But this man has been a good friend of mine, a supporter of mine uh, for many years now. Uh, I finally got the chance to meet him last year in Orlando at the uh, 2020 State uh, or National Convention. He had my back. The man's an author, a historian, uh, the Tennessee Mises Caucus, one of the organizers over there. He is Mr. Dave Benner, sir. How are you doing tonight, sir? Great, Josh. Thanks for having me. Love the program. Let's get it going, man. Yeah, absolutely. They're saying my stream's a little gl glitchy. I hope I hope it's not too glitchy for you guys. I don't know what's going on. Ever since I that internet issue where we had the the cable uh, destroyed in the backyard, that had it. I had it back on, and it seems a little. Uh, seems a little wonky. You're cursed. You're cursed. Yeah, man. I'm not happy about it. I hope that uh, I hope that it's all fixed. If you guys are having problems, let me know in the chat. I see Wade Hoffman said something about it, um, so I apologize. But, but brother, how you doing, man? Doing great. Convention season's upon us here. Uh, Tennessee had a 75 degree Christmas. That was fun. Oh, geez. Ate some hot chicken with the family, and uh, yeah, just rip roaring, ready to go into a new year. Some of that Nashville hot chicken, man. Oh, do you, have you had it? I haven't, dude. I, I mean, I've had it outside of Nashville, but I when I when I was in Tennessee, when I went to the Tennessee State Convention in 2018, uh, I, I kept trying to go to. There's some place downtown uh, Nashville. <clears throat> I can't remember the name of it. But it's supposed to be like the best place, but there's like a line down the street. Um, <laughs> Hattie B's or Prince is probably one of the. Two. I think it was Hattie B's. I think Hattie B's was the one, and so we we couldn't we couldn't go. But I ended up having barbecue. So like my thing was, you know, I went to twenty. I think I went to twenty five. It was twenty five plus states in twenty eighteen for this for the campaign, and uh, I I started. You know, I always wanted to try the regional food everywhere I went. When I was in Connecticut, I had a lobster roll. You know, mm. uh, all the barbecue. Um, Florida, I had Cubanos, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I did. But I started trying the barbecue in every state I went to because that was the thing. I was like, you know, I want to find the best barbecue because I had been to Kansas City. It was my favorite barbecue. I, I couldn't <laughs> find anything better than there. But I'll tell you, the, the, the closest second to Kansas City that I found 
outside of Missouri was was Nashville, Tennessee. Man, they got some killer fucking yeah, barbecue. You're gonna be there. dogging us like that? Come it was on, good. number one, son. It was Come good, on. man. I and you know, and I can't I can't talk too <laughs> much about it because I didn't get to go to Memphis, and I know Memphis has really good barbecue. I had Nashville barbecue. It's not Memphis barbecue. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's not as good, um, but. Kansas City, dude, I just, listen, I, I gauge barbecue by ribs, and if you gauge barbecue by ribs, it's really hard to find ribs that are better than Missouri ribs. I mean, that's just, that's just how it is, dude. And, and they, hard to argue, man, the wet sauce is great. Yeah, that I like, I you know, I don't like Texas ribs. I'm not a big fan of the beef rib. I'm not a big fan of the, the real dry rubbed barbecue. Texas makes really good brisket. They make really good brisket, dude. They do. They got great biscuit, brisket, and their sides are really good, dude. I could, I could talk barbecue all day, dude. I mean, literally, we could, <laughs> we could have we an entire this later. Yeah, we could have an entire conversation about barbecue for a- hours. Trust me, I, I love my barbecue. But I, I went all over the country. I tried barbecue everywhere. I mean, I had barbecue in in like the Midwest. I had barbecue in California and Washington. I mean, everywhere I went, I had barbecue. So Kansas City was good, but Nashville was the close second, man. Definitely, definitely. Uh, brother, we'll so it. you're a you're a an unrelenting, unapologetic, hardcore libertarian. Uh, you write for the Tenth Amendment Center. You, you got some some uh, some literature out there. You got some literature at Mises, um, from what I understand. You, you've written some books. Uh, but but how did you get to where you are today, man? I, we we want to hear about your journey to libertarianism. Yeah, man, absolutely. That's always the the thing everyone wants to know, right? So for me, maybe I had kind of an unorthodox venture toward libertarianism. Um, I was a college student at the University of Wisconsin River Falls and a history major. And, you know, I had been acquainted with some of the classical liberal theorists like John Locke and Algernon Sidney and, of course, Thomas Jefferson. But um, my research for a project on U.S. central banking led me just coincidentally to the writings of Murray Rothbard. I found um, the history of money and banking in the United States. And from there, that was basically the rabbit hole to everything, man. Um, You know, he was writing out these incredible economic histories that I didn't know existed. And uh, from there, I learned who the guy was. And of course, that brought me all the way down to learning about Harry Brown, uh, Walter E. Williams, um, Michael Badnarik, who I was a big supporter of in I 2004. Lo- I love Badnarik. I, I really did. He was the last He's, radical dude. candidate this part the LP had, dude. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. The guy didn't even have a he- driver's license. Yeah. How could it get better? Yeah. He, he was the one that uh, introduced me kind of to the party. That's when I initially joined the party is in 2004. And, you know, um, I am, I do call myself a child of the Ron Paul revolution though. Um, several factors actually led me to leaving the party for a time in 2008, namely the 2006 Portland massacre, which maybe you've talked about before. And also um, the ascension of bill or I'm sorry, Bob Barr, over Mary Ruart, who I supported at that time. Right. Also, Ron Paul running didn't didn't hurt. So I thought that the LP kind of had an aimless trajectory, and um, that's essentially why I left. But theoretically, like I got into the works of Robert Higgs, and a little bit later, Tom Woods. I got into Hayek, Rothbard, Mises, um, all the greats, right, from there. And, uh, you know, had an interregnum from the party, came back in the mid-2000s, wasn't too energized. I was still skeptical that the LP was a good vehicle. And then I have to owe my re-energization to you and Michael Heiss. So the Mises Caucus uh, made me think that there is a real radical alternative to status quo uh, Libertarian Party orthodoxy. And that that really got me going in a zealous way. And I've tried to continue on that path until where I am today. Sure. Sure, absolutely, and it, it's got to be hard right now with this kind of rift going on in the Mises Caucus for people who, uh, you know, see 
see this stuff going on, but really thought that this was a radical uh, uh, outlet for for libertarianism and the Libertarian Party. And and I still agree with you. Like I still think that it's the best vehicle. Um, you know, and I, and I'm trying to tell people that like, no matter how mad I am at these guys and no matter how much, you know, we're, we're disagreeing right now, I still want you to join. I still want you to, I still want you to, uh, you know, push that just, just when you go to the convention in Reno in, in, uh, 2022 here in May over Labor Day weekend, don't vote for the Prague. That's, that's all I'm asking. You know what I mean? Vote for me or let's put up somebody. Excuse me. Let's put up somebody who's who's better than me. Let's put up somebody that's better than 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 uh, the Prague. That's all I care about. I want look. I was at the ground level for this caucus thing, man. You know what I mean? Like I was the ground level. There was there was nobody there when I started. I mean, it was it was me and Heist taking all the arrows, man. And uh, and I I I take a lot of um, I have a lot of God. What's the words I'm looking for? I you know I, I have a lot of vested interest in this movement, in the caucus, uh, in, in, in the libertarian movement as a whole in this country. And, uh, I don't want to see it just devolve into what we were fighting. And so, you know, we, I keep hearing this argument that the vice chair race is not, it's not a big deal. We can throw one person a bone. No, we should run somebody for every single position on that board and take as many as we possibly can and not, and, and not capitulate. And, and that's it. You know, if there's, if there's somebody who's reasonable, like Ken Molman, or Dustin Nana? Sure. Do they hold positions that I think are completely counter to what we're doing? No, not at all. You know, they're not for gun control. They're not for fighting charter schools in lieu of public schooling. They're not, you know what I mean? They're not doing these things that I find uh, offensive to, uh, to our movement. So, you know, if we have somebody like that, I'm, I'm more than happy. But we'll get into that more definitely in the members-only chat. We'll talk a lot about that shit uh, tonight because I have the Q&A coming up on Thursday, so it can kind of be a precursor for the members uh, to understand what's going on. But, um... Yeah, so you you really you really took a philosophical stride towards uh, towards the liberty the liberty movement in general. But um, it, it's funny because you bring up the Portland massacre, which happened in two thousand six in Portland. What happened was uh, they held up. They it's one of the reasons why they haven't held another another convention in the Pacific Northwest, another national convention. <laughs> but they held a, a convention. A lot of people said they weren't going to be able to go. There was one caucus that got together that wanted to just rape the platform and the they reform. Yeah, caucus. yeah, the reform um, caucus, right? Yeah, and they just they showed up and they just ripped the platform. I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds of party planks, and there uh, there's like two pages now. It's gone. They're all, they're all gone, including my baby, the secession plank. Right. The they took the I, secession plank. I took plank that part. I took that personally when that was ripped out because that is my passion. And you should have. And you should have. But the but the party was already kind of on a, a backslide anyways, and that's what made that possible because Harry Brown in 2000 uh, really actually, I think he tripled the party membership. Uh, he you know he didn't do that great in the in the election per se, but man, he got people fired up. Harry Brown was such a good spokesperson for what what we are and, and what we should be, and he he made the membership huge. And then nine eleven happened in two thousand and one, and a ton of people in the Libertarian Party found our our anti war stance offensive during that time. And in fact, Harry Brown put out one of the maybe the most brave essays on the on the situation. Do you know you know about that? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The day really. after nine eleven, he put it out. I mean, absolutely, absolutely brave. And uh and uh so a lot of people left and it was already kind of backsliding. That's that's what set the the the, the table for the Portland massacre. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, uh Harry Brown two thousand, that was the height of LP membership, man. And uh, I think that it's of no coincidence that our most radical and, uh, you know, principled messengers have also drawn the most people. It's Ron Paul. It's Harry Brown. It's guys like you. It's Dave Smith. It's Spike Cohen. Uh, 
It's all of the most radical principled messengers that have amplified our standing. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, man. And that's, you know, that was my the whole basis for my chair campaigns was like, we need radical, unapologetic messaging. That's how we're going to that's how we're going to appeal to the libertarians in this country. And there's so many libertarians in this country. There's a lot. They're just not the, they're not in the movement. They're not in the party. You know what I mean? Because they're, they're the unforgotten off. ones, man. Like a lot of people talk about triangulating to, you know, the left and the right. But there's people right there in front of us that that know that these ideas are right, that we aren't always extending an olive branch or an arm toward. Right. Right. So so you're a big history buff, especially a, a hyper focus on Jefferson Jeffersonian ideals. What how, how'd you get there, man? Yeah. So, man, it, it's a crazy story there, too, because I was a self-avowed Lincolnian nationalist. Oh, I considered Jesus. Lincoln. <laughs> exactly. <man. laughs> I considered Lincoln almost like the American deity that he has presented to us in Washington, D.C. today. And, um, you know, various things led me to discarding that. One of them was Tom DiLorenzo's excellent book, The Real Lincoln. Um, others were, you know, primary sources that I had read about Jefferson. I used to think that the American ideal was this loony conception of American exceptionalism that is to police the world and export democracy. But I learned that, you know, really that's more Trotsky. It's like more like Trotsky in the permanent revolution than oh, sure. no American traditional it. foreign policy that, you know, Washington and Jefferson champions. So um, I'm very, very passionate about the founding period. Um, there are a lot of um, very good people and bad people in the founding period. But I think that, you know, some of the discourse from there is entirely prescient and uh, prophetic to what we're experiencing today. That's what got me to write about constitutional history, um, about nullification, about secession and really uh, governance in general. Sure. Well, and it's it's funny because we're you know, we're 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 talking about the the founding of the country, right? And uh, it, I, I've been drawing some parallels to, to what's going on in the Mises caucus right now, right? This this kind of uh, uh, what's the the uh, concession, right? And you had the during the founding times, you had the 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 uh, Federalists and the anti, the anti, right? And so, you know, they, there was a lot of concessions made when they were founding this country, a lot, mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with today is one hundred percent because of those concessions. I mean, would you would you agree on the, that issue? Oh, yeah, you can always see parallels like that. I mean, we are a young infant organization, just as, you know, the American Republic was in the 1780s. You know, like you said, the Philadelphia Convention was filled with concessions and compromises, most notably on, you know, representational apportionment um, and things like that. Um, What the powers of the states would be versus the powers of the general government or the federal government, as most people call it today. So um, you can absolutely see parallels in almost every organization like that. Once an organization grows, um, there are, you know, different factions, sometimes within factions. And, you know, it is an interesting dynamic in human history. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, you know, and so you, you've written quite a bit about constitutional history and, and, uh, and, and I'm, you know, over the last, I have to sigh before I talk about the Constitution every time. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I will work with constitutionalists, and I and I appreciate people who are constitutionalists. I had a wonderful constitution constitutionalists on my show uh, all the time. I, you know, I've worked with a lot of constitutional Republicans, constitutional Libertarians. I'm a big fan, but I, I it's it's really hard for me not to have the the Lysander Spooner ver, uh, uh, view of the Constitution. You know, it's and and I and I'm I'm smacked every once in a while um, with with good people, uh, especially you know last night I had uh, uh, Dennis Misigoy on my show, who's running for U.S. Senate in Florida, great guy, and he said the same thing. You know, the the Constitution's just a piece of paper. 
right? And I'm like, yeah, worthless piece of paper. And he's like, no, listen, it's the people. You know, it's the people's fault that we've we've let it, you know, not uh, limit our government the way it's supposed to be. Because, you know, I, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, the Constitution's our rules. And it's like, no, those aren't rules for us. Those are rules for government, right? That's exactly what it is. And and uh, I don't know, man. How do you how do you feel about the Constitution these days, dude? I mean, is it still – is it, yeah. do, you, do you idolize the Constitution or what? No, yeah, this is a great question. So I'm glad you asked this. I've heard you talk about this a lot. I I very much believe in the Hoppian and Rothbardian ideal of having all contracts be signed by individuals and, you know, that constitutional government isn't necessarily the way to go. Um, but I don't think that Spooner was actually that novel in his kind of famous conclusion to no trees. And actually, um, some of the people that helped in the framing and ratification of the Constitution admitted the same, that, you know, this was just a piece of paper. And if there's no impetus to enforce it, it would just read as a dead letter. For instance, Madison in Federalist 48 said that written constitutions had failed to stop what he called, quote unquote, the encroaching spirit of power. Um, St. George Tucker, who served as the second law professor at the College of William and Mary, also a Virginian, said that, you know, written constitutions aren't enough to stop the natural progress of tyranny. Thomas Jefferson said the natural progress of things is for liberty to yield and government to gain ground. So these people, all Republicans that believed in written constitutions, didn't necessarily think that they would be, you know, tenable to be enforced. And in fact, just like it, the Constitution I write about in my book is a compact. That's a contract amongst sovereign entities. But every contract, again, is only as good as the parties that are willing to abide by the tenants. For instance, if I sign a mortgage with a bank and I fail to make my payment, we don't necessarily take umbrage with the mortgage. It's one of the parties that's failing. I think government has done more to fail than the Constitution has actually failed because, again, a Constitution is not powerful either positively or negatively. And the way that that history is manifested, I'll just say this and then I'll conclude, is that um, the the choices to humanity and Western civilization have not been anarchism or anarchic capitalism on one side of the paradigm and, you know, complete arbitrary government on the other or constitutional government and anarchism. It's often been constitutional government and arbitrary government. So to the extent that there is constitutional government, I support it to the extent that I think it is better than an arbitrary government that assumes all and every power, general legislative authority. Even if constitutions haven't succeeded in many cases, which I would submit they haven't, I do prefer that to an arbitrary government that literally claims power to do everything. Even like the biggest adversary of, you know, libertarianism wouldn't want that i think right right absolutely so yeah i mean and and you know we we talk it's funny because if you get into some of these hoppy in circles right like i'm I, i've really gotten into hoppa a lot like like over the last year uh if you if you followed me for a long time you know i wasn't i didn't know a lot about hoppa over a year ago i didn't i didn't read any of his books i had skimmed democracy but i've really gotten through it now and uh ordered some more of his books and i've been you know i've been really kind of talking to a lot more hoppians i've had great hoppians on my show People who really understand Hoppian uh, ideology, and not just not just the people who are like, "Oh, physical removal all the time," you know, um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah. uh, you know, it's I don't know. I like these people, man, and, I, and I'm glad to really be getting more into that stuff. But I think it's like it's funny because I'm I'm you know I was radicalized by Murray Rothbard, but I'm like being pushed over the edge by Hoppe. I mean, it's just like a whole other 
step. You know what I mean? And, and they're uh, my two favorite modern libertarian theorists. So true. it's hard to disagree. I mean, democracy, the God that failed is amazing. One Everyone of the best that's books watching ever this needs to read that. Yeah, absolutely. One of the best books I've written, but uh, you, you get in some of these hopping circles and they really start, they talk, talk about monarchism a lot, which if you've read Hoppe, you know that he didn't really advocate for, for monarchy, <laughs> right? He just, he, it would be, it would be better than democracy. It, essentially, you know, you have, it, when there's one person, you can always kill the King. You know what I mean? Uh, and uh, it just, you know, he, the way he lays it out isn't like, hey, I'm a big supporter of of monarchy. He was like, it's like a compare and contrast with democracy and mo- monarchy, right? But I mean, we're you know, and, and so when we're talking about one arbitrary government that has all the power, it assumes all the power. I mean, that's really you know, it could be like a monarchal situation. How do you where do you, where do you come off on monarchy, man? <laughs> I I'm an absolute like Thomas Paine, who I'm writing a biography on. I'm an absolute anti monarchist. Like you said, I, I, it's hard to discount the Hoppian thesis of democracy, the God that failed in that, you know, Western style monarchies did tend to preserve the liberties of the people better than democracy. I, it's hard for me to disagree with that because democracy in the last century has brought us the income tax, the Federal Reserve, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, the welfare state, um, FISA courts, the surveillance apparatus, um, every single uh, piece of tyrannical fiefdom that exists in today's right. Washington, D.C. So it's really hard for me to discount that argument. But I'm absolutely anti-monarchical. Um, Thomas Paine considered it a form of slavery because you would be bound to the dictums of a hereditary family um, in all generations. And he was utterly against that. So I stand with him on that. Same with Jefferson. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and you have the, you know, the monarchs of, 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 uh, of England now who – I mean, do they even really do anything other than be rich people in the in the media? I mean, I don't I don't even think they have any. They, like, you know, I think their parliament really has all the power now, right? Oh, most most you know monarchies, quote unquote, throughout the world have a monarch that's a figurehead. England, technically, their monarch still retains under its unwritten constitutional system the ability to what's called withhold assent. It's almost like a veto on the United States, but that hasn't been practiced in, I believe, 200 years. So I think it would be interesting if that was, you know, that would throw a whole wrench into all the the governmental processes. But in most places in the West, they're figureheads and more or less it's it operates kind of like a democracy or a republic. So Uh, Christopher Baker, thanks for the the two two dollar super chats. I appreciate you. One says uh, Angela McArdle is the only reason I stay in the LP. Thanks, man. Thanks for thanks for breaking my heart. You know what I mean? What about me? Uh, you know, I work my ass off too. Uh, look, I, I like Angela. You know what I mean? I, I, I dropped out of the chair race and threw my support behind Angela. So, you know, if you see her say anything bad about me, you should remind her of that because I do have a lot more support than people think I do. Uh, also, he said Liberty Movement wouldn't exist without Ayn Rand. Uh, what do you think? Well, it's interesting. I mean, Ayn Rand to the the wider public was kind of the source of a lot of people's foothold into, I guess, libertarian ideals. They sure like to bash us over the head with it, don't they? Sure. And it's not even quite fair because Ayn Rand herself, as you probably are aware, Josh, didn't really consider herself libertarian in the same sense because she considered, you know, the party and the movement to some extent as not scratching deep enough on the philosophical and just kind of being a reaction to, you know, left and right. Whereas she was, you know, utterly concerned about um, the the philosophical and moral tenets of her philosophy. And she thought libertarians were more like empiricists, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. She was definitely not a fan of Murray Rothbard. There's no (laughs) doubt about that. That's he was in her circle for a time, but you're right. They had a big breakup. 
one of the one of my favorite stories uh, from any of the Mises Institute uh, fellows at all is Walter Block. If you're not familiar with the story, I've told it on the show a yes. few times. Walter Block was a hardcore. He'll tell you straight up pinko commie. In those words, he's like, I was a pinko commie in college. My best friend was Bernie Sanders. You know what I mean? Like we we were on the track team together. We were run, you know, and we went to this luncheon, and there was this woman there. There was this subjectivist, this great theorist, you know. And and I'm doing I'm doing Walter Block no justice with trying to do his voice here. Um, <laughs> He's one of my favorites. Him, him and Murray have two of the best like presentations when they're talking about things. And so, uh, so he went to this luncheon with the intent of, of arguing with Ayn Rand. It was Ayn Rand. And he went to this luncheon and it was like, I'm going to debate her. And he's this, you know, young college pinko commie. And he runs up and a guy steps in front of him and goes, no, 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 hold on. You don't want to do that right now. This is a terrible idea, which was probably, it would have been a bad idea. Ayn Rand could debate her fucking face off. I mean, she was amazing at what she did. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not the hugest Ayn Rand fan. I, admittedly, I'm not a big reader of Ayn Rand. I don't, you know, I don't worship her like some people do. Uh, but the guy said, here, take this book, go read it, and then come back and have this conversation with, with, with her, you know, and he gave, he gave him uh, uh, economics in one lesson or something, right? Or I think well, it was one of these books. I think it, I think it might have been Henry Hazlitt of some sort. But uh, and he went and read it, and he said that was what began his journey towards being the great Doctor Walter Block that we know today, who defends the indefensible. And you know what I mean? I mean, this guy is probably if I had to pick somebody alive today, Walter Block's my favorite. I mean, he's my favorite guy. I mean, that's that's the dude for me. I love Tom Woods. I love you know Bob Murphy. I love all these. I love all these wonderful people. Jeff Dice is like probably up there too, you know. But but man, there's just something about Walter Doctor Block for me that uh, really just I mean, it drives the point home. But he also does it in such a way that's endearing. You know what I mean? That's another thing with Tom too. Is like Tom is so endearing. You know what I mean? Like. It's anytime I hear someone trash talking Tom, I'm like, have you ever fucking met Tom Woods? He's like the nicest guy in the entire world. They couldn't have met him, yeah. Like, like literally, he's such a sweetheart to everybody, right? But he talks shit to him online, so so everyone's like, oh, this guy's such a piece of shit. I'm like, nah, he's really the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And if you tried to talk like that to Jeff Dyson in person, he'd probably beat you up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I couldn't agree more. Everyone you listed is perfect. Um uh, just awesome contributors to libertarian thought. I mean, Tom Woods, as I consider him a personal friend, um, he's great. He's going to blur my pain biography. So is Jeff Deist. That's awesome. And Block's contributions are so countless. He's also willing, and a lot of people don't know this, he's written a lot of works with his students by contributing like his own um, additions to their papers and gotten them published and helped them out on their careers. And it's, he goes above and beyond for his students. I'll just say. Oh, sure. Sure. And he teach, I mean, he, he's one of the rare economists that teach people uh, at uh, actual college, these, these ideals. I mean, he really is right. I I mean, it's very few and far between that colleges have teachers like Walter Block. It's hard to even imagine that, right? Yeah. Could you imagine you're like, you show up to Loyola and you're like, you're like, all right, (laughs) I'm going to learn some things today. Walter Block's like, hey, listen, slavery. And everyone's like, oh, shit. You know, (laughs) slave contracts. Yeah, exactly. He's like, you know, it wasn't. It wouldn't be that bad. And you're like, holy shit, Dr. Block, chill, man, you know. But, but you know, I, I, that's really luck of the draw when you end up with teachers like that, man. And, and it, they're, they're few and far between. But, yeah, the way he presents things and the way he talks about things is just my favorite. And, and you He's know, a great debater, too. Oh, man. yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. Great debater. You know who's becoming one of my new favorites, too, but besides you, of course, Dave? Uh, Patrick oh. Newman. Man, yes. Patrick Newman's really good. He had Patrick Newman on the show recently. Um, and I didn't know much about Patrick, right? And, uh, 
I had him on the show. First of all, he sounds like Murray Rothbard when he talks. He literally, do- he literally does. He sounds like Murray well, Rothbard. He's immersed himself in Rothbard. He'd have to to learn how to cipher his handwriting. Yeah, could you imagine? Tra- if I don't know how many people on here have actually seen Murray Murray's handwriting. It was bad. It was <laughs> don't Google it. Fucking bad. Don't Google it. The fact that he was able to to uh, you know really decipher all that stuff and translate it basically. It was translation is what he was doing. Right here. Here's yep, the there's the book. Newman, yep. Conceived in Liberty, Volume Five that he edited. Yep, Excellent yep. book. Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts that's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over i I gotta have you i want to do a panel sometime with you and this guy that i had on on my show uh he wrote this book called the second amendment his name's uh steven daniel and he is has immersed himself in the constitution and the founders and all this stuff. I mean, I think you guys would have a really good conversation. That'd be a lot of fun, man. But he's got this great book, uh, Rediscovering the Inalienable Rights to Firearm Ownership and Self Defense, where he kind of he really um, he really breaks down not just the Constitution, but like the actual like Federalist Papers and Anti Federalist Papers, and and like you know because that's the that's the big argument with the Second Amendment, right? Is like, well, we don't know what the founders meant. And it's like, yeah, 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 you do. It's written. It's written in these other papers right here. They literally explain what they're talking about right here. And people people are like ignorant to the founding of this country, and they don't understand that they're you know the Constitution wasn't the only document that the founders wrote. You know, sure, and the state constitutions are almost completely um, disregarded entirely as well. And under our federalist system, they should be more important than the federal counterpart. Right, right, oh. and you should. I agree. Uh, Patrick Leisner, thank you for the five dollars super chat. He says, "Josh, look forward to meeting you at LPF Con. Can you ask Shannon to go to the Bay County, Florida affiliate meeting on January twentieth? Shannon, you're in the chat. Go to the Bay County, uh, Florida affiliate meeting on January twentieth." Tho Bishop will probably be really upset with you, but that's okay. That's all right. Though those the Bay County, uh, uh, I think he's the the Republican Bay County Chair. I think Tho is. I've had Tho on the show too. He's he's fun, man. He hates the Libertarian Party, man. He hates it so much. <laughs> and and but he's so it's it's funny because if you when you have a conversation with him about it, he can convey his disdain for the Libertarian Party and trying to kind of corral all the Libertarians into the party. <laughs> With the biggest smile on his face and like as as also like the nicest guy. He it's so he can he's the most like the nicest confrontational guy I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I don't know how yeah, I don't I, know how he pulls it off. I like Tho a lot. He actually helped uh, get me the ability to contribute to Mises, so I have nothing good but good to say about him. I liked what he wrote about or uh, did the speech in the Mises Institute about populism recently. Oh, sure. yep. Really good speech, by the way. Yeah, he's he's you got to listen. If you listen to Tho on YouTube, you have to drop it down to half speed and then he sounds normal. 
That's how Tho is. Tho talks really fast, dude. He's he's Ben Shapiro. Have you ever seen him in the same room together? <laughs> Have you? He's a Have little. You? He's got his voice a little bit lower than than Ben Shapiro's. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully. Um, no, I look forward to seeing all you guys at the the Libertarian Party of Florida State Convention uh, next year too, man, or next month too. You're coming. You're coming to that one, right, Dave? You coming to Florida? I'll be there and Georgia, man. I can't oh, wait. Oh, so to I'll see you in two weeks. I'll see you. Yeah, in two I'm gonna weeks. twist your arm a little bit, try to get you out to Tennessee, maybe offer you a little hot chicken if you come that way. When is when is the we'll, Tennessee we'll convention? Uh, March 18th and 19th, oh, I believe. I, I might. We'll see. We'll see how because I'm going to. Sure. I'm, I'm driving to the Michigan State Convention the weekend before. They're doing a. They're actually doing a uh, candidate. Um, uh, table so it'll be Eric Rodsep and I will actually have a chance to debate in person there um, and anybody else that's running for vice chair I imagine too uh, but yeah it's it's you know when I was when I was campaigning for these positions before I was in California and Oregon right in 2017 2018 I was in Oregon 2019 and 2020 I was in California now I'm in the middle of the country dude so like I can drive to conventions <laughs> It's, really... it's it's a little bit easier from a geographical position for you, I guess. Yeah, it's really funny because I, I like I'm going to be driving to Michigan, uh, Missouri, Nebraska, Minnesota. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's there's some other ones that we can drive to too as well. But like, yeah, man, you can just like drive to conventions. When I was on the West Coast, it was a five hour flight everywhere I went. <laughs> it was nuts. Yeah, uh, but have you been to any of the Libertarian Party of Florida conventions? I haven't. This will be the first one. Um, I'm running to be the LNC Region 2 alternate, actually. So I hope to serve on the same board as you, well, on the same body as you. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm really interested in that. There's a really great Mises caucus contingent in Florida, great one in Georgia. Um, Mises is rising in the region and uh, absolutely can't wait to be there. Lots of great people. There's shout out Josh Lavka, uh, Hector Roos. You got Mitchell Wysek, and they might even be watching right now. Lots of great people. If I omitted you, I'm sorry. You're great, though. Yeah, the uh, the floor. I'll tell you guys. I you know I I might be a little biased just because they've supported me in every campaign I've ever run, but uh, Florida does put on the best state convention I've been to, and I've been to I uh, forty forty state forty five state conventions or something like that. It's the best best one I've gone to. In fact, uh, last year was the only year I've missed the the Libertarian Party of Florida state convention in since two thousand and seventeen. So it's my favorite one to go to. I think this will be like the seventh, sixth or seventh time I've been to Florida over the last four years. But, you know, you're an honorary gator. Yeah. Well, they, they told me that I'm an honorary member of, of the Libertarian Party of Florida. Oh, I'll definitely be going to Pennsylvania as well, because Pennsylvania, I'm a I'm a registered. Uh, I'll see you there. Yeah, too. Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania voter uh, uh, delegate. You know, because I joined, they don't have the same in-state rules as some of the other states. So I joined right after their last convention where they shut down all the Mises people and wouldn't let them vote. And so all these people from around the country joined Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania and we're all going to converge. It'd probably be as big as the national convention, dude. It's going to be insane. <laughs> Tom Woods and Dave Smith will be there. So your listeners, that's the place to be. Yeah. Uh, for the guys, for everyone in the chat asking, um, uh, the Florida State Convention is in, oh, Patrick already said it. Yeah, it's in Melbourne, Florida. Uh, 25th through the 27th of next month. I'm actually coming in on the 24th. I'll be in on Thursday evening. I'm getting into uh, to I'm flying into Orlando, um, and I'll spend the evening there, and then Friday evening, whatever. Florida does like three days of convention, dude. So they party Friday night, and then Saturday they do business, and then they have they always do all kinds of different things. In fact, I was talking about this last night on the show uh, when I went to their Tampa state con- the state convention in Tampa. I hosted and moderated a panel. With Walter Block, Tom Woods, and Jeff Deist on it. 
And uh, I just remember standing at the podium thinking to myself, how the fuck did I get here? What did I do to deserve this shit? You know what I mean? It was like it was like the same thing in 2018. I I was the uh, keynote speaker for the ballroom at the Omaha Roads to Freedom Unconvention. I shut down the ballroom, and then the last thing after that was the dinner with Ron Paul with, and his speech. So I I I backed up Ron Paul, you know, and I'm going. I, I as the first time anybody ever asked me to speak for more than 15 or 20 minutes, I had a 45 minute speech time, and I'm like, holy shit, how am I going to fill 45 minutes? And uh, and and uh, I was keynoting behind Ron Paul, and I'm and I'm standing up on this this the, in this huge <laughs> ballroom with like all these tables, and people are watching me and clapping and yelling and shit, and I'm going, how the fuck did I get here? What did I do to deserve this shit? Yeah, man. You know, and it was the same thing in, in Florida. I'm just going, I'm going. How how did I get to moderate a panel that has these three? I'm not smart enough to be up here. <laughs> you know, he, I, here's how Joshua the LP before your rise was consisting of a body that posted satanic memes on Easter, threw Ron Paul under the bot the bus with its former chair, implying that he was a Russian agent, right? Um, doing everything they could to pr- push principled radicals out, and you filled a niche that was greatly needed. And uh, you'll never be forgotten for it. Well, I appreciate it, man, because I'm feeling a little forgotten these days, Dave. You know what I mean? <laughs> a little bit. But then I, but then I start, you know, I start talking to the membership, and I remember that I do have a lot of support. And it's, you know, I think, I think that the board of the Mises Caucus, and I don't want to badmouth them and talk much shit, but I feel like they've, they've kind of put all these layers between them and the membership that weren't there when we started. You know what I mean? And and now it's like there's the the board and then there's the advisors and then there's the 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 organize there's the regional coordinators and the 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 state organizers and then and then you get down to the membership and it's like the membership's going, What the fuck's going on up there? And they're like, Hey, we can't hear you up here. You know what I mean? And I think I think that that's I see that going on right now. And it hurts my heart because I'm the guy who went and talked to the members. Right. Like I'm the guy that traveled around the country and shook our members hands and got people involved and and and, and the calls the calls to action to get people uh, uh, doing activism in their in their their local areas. I was the guy. I was the guy that did that shit. Right. And so it, it hurts my heart to see that there's that kind of disconnect now. And I think that, you know, that's another big reason for why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, is that I, I want to bring I want to bring that back, dude. I want I want the members to feel like, you know, they have the support of the caucus. And, you know, I, I, I'm always going to support the caucus and the board, but there's got to be some there's got to be some overlap between all this stuff. You can't just yeah, have all these the, different the membership shouldn't be disregarded. I don't really think they are. I'll just I'll just say I, I actually think that Heiss um, has done pretty well. Um, I mean, here's what I'll say is that I think his judgment generally has been impeccable. This is a very the only thing that I've really ever kind of disagreed with on, and I can kind of set that aside and work with the Mises caucus. I love the Mises caucus. My heart's in the Mises caucus. Right. Um, I think they're off on this, but I, I give you and Heist equal credit for bringing me in. And yeah, you know, we have a difference of opinion on it. I don't think their ne- motives are nefarious, um, uh, but I just think you're the suitable choice. I think that you have better experience. Your voting record is spotless. I think that you have a better uh, knowledge of Robert's rules of order, which is uh, just incredibly useful for that role. Not and because I wanted to, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not your dream, right? It was funny because when I but, first when I first started running for chair in 2017, and I'm sorry, I'm eating dinner, guys. So I I was running a little late tonight. Um, <laughs> when I was running for chair in 2017, I had no knowledge of Robert's rules at all, at all, and I started reading it. 
And because I was like, well, look, there's a chance I might win this chair race and I'm going to need to know how to chair a national convention, you know. And so I was like, uh, I don't know, four months into reading this and studying it and watching meetings. And I was watching like I was watching like uh, parliamentary uh, uh, contests like in colleges and all kinds of crazy shit. And uh, I show up to the Oklahoma State Convention in 2018. Right. And uh, their their chairs like, I don't want to chair this convention. Fuck this. I'm out. And Aaron Adams comes up to me and goes, hey, I'm sta- it's like 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm having a cigarette standing by Adam Kokesh's bus waiting for him to wake up so I could probably smoke a bowl with him or something, you know. <laughs> and, and, and my tie's not even all done up yet or nothing. I'm in like a purple shirt and some slacks and a suit jacket, you know. And Aaron Adams comes running out and she goes, hey. And I'm like, what? And she's like, you're going to chair this convention. And I'm like, I, I – don't, I can't do that. What the fuck are you talking about? She's like, she's like, do you want to be the chair of the national committee? And I said, <laughs> I said, well, yeah, duh. This is like my 18th state I've been to or something. You know what I mean? She's like, then you get in there and you chair this fucking convention, like right in my face. And I'm like, all right, here we go. You know, and I fucking zip that up my, sounds like her, by yeah, the way. I stepped up my tie. She, she's like, well, we thought David Demarest was going to do it, but he just said he wants to, he wants to gavel in and that's it. So I go in. I have 15 minutes until this convention starts. It starts at like 8 o'clock, right? And they they want to institute an entire new platform, uh, complete huge bylaws uh, <laughs> overhaul. They want to do three censure motions, including one on Joe Exotic, the Tiger King, one on, Ar- <laughs> one on Arvin Vora, one on somebody else, right? And I'm like, oh, this is going to be so contentious and shitty, and I, I'd have never chaired an, a convention. Uh, and then they hand me the gavel, and it's a fucking ice cream scoop, right? Like, they don't even have, like, a legit gavel. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be – you know, it's like there's no podium. It's like a table. But there was, like, 100 people in attendance. I mean, this was a good year for for conventions. And so I just fucking said, fuck it, go. I said, you know, if, if anybody's going to – I was like, if if I get off, someone in the, in the, in the audience is going to yell at me, you know what I mean, and tell me rules, rules, rules. And by God, they did, dude. Anytime I <gasps> – Anytime I mess up, they'd be like, hey, 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 that needs a second or hey, 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 you know, and I learned more doing that, that five hours or whatever that I chaired this convention than I ever did reading the book, dude. Oh, feet to the fire, man. It makes sense. Plus being on this body, this LNC, you would have to know when to throw in the points of order. Yeah, man. that was the thing. Like, so. I, you know, if I would have just got steamrolled. Uh, at the LNC meetings had I not known Robert's rules. So thankfully, I'd started studying before I ever got on the board. Uh, and then, you know. Here's the thing, like Nick Sarwark can eat all the dicks. Like I hate Nick Sarwark. He's a fed. I don't support him for anything. I want Sarwarks completely out of my movement. All of them. I don't. I want their whole family line gone from my movement. I know they don't belong here. But that motherfucker knew Robert's rules and could run a meeting better than anybody I've ever seen in my life. So I watched him. I paid attention to what he was doing. I learned all his little tricks. You know what I mean? And and uh, I I would I would venture to say that I could I could run a national convention. I could run the LNC meetings as good as Nick Sarwark did. I believe that one hundred percent. I could even throw in the snark if they need it. You know what I mean? Maybe better than he could. Dies for lack of second. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, dies for lack of second. Yeah, I'm just saying. Like he, you know, I I learned. I don't like the guy, but I learned a lot from that guy, dude. I really did about about what not to be in politics. I mean, that was a big thing for me. I was like, I don't ever want to be this kind of snake oil salesman piece of shit. Like, I don't want to be. I don't want to be the guy setting with the gavel at the LNC meeting, trying to get a push a motion through to pay myself seventy five dollars an hour to fundraise for a party <laughs> I should already be fucking fundraising for. Right? Like, I don't want to be that guy ever in my life. Right. And fight for 75 yeah i man. wrote that article by the way in case anybody was wondering i know, <laughs> yeah, I, know. I, I heard you said that later and i'm like really yeah. that 
yeah. so much makes sense though. Yeah, I wrote that article. I wrote the. Uh, I also wrote the uh, the libertarian low key article uh, as well. What was your pen name? Uh, there was two. So there was uh, there was the McGillicuddy <laughs> one that I put out from uh, from being libertarian for the fight for seventy five, and then the the libertarian low key one about corruption in the LNC uh, that came out from that actually came out from a a, a blog site that another awesome LNC member of mine own as well. Uh, but I put it, I put it out, uh, because I was like, fuck this. You know, it's like, I could have put it out under my name, you know, but it would have just caused a bunch of shit, but these were factual things. I dropped receipts for both of them. Um, so anybody could say what they want, but I wanted to do a pen name at the time. I was never embarrassed about the articles. They were great fucking articles. And in fact, the funny thing is, you know, who edited those articles, both of them, David fucking Hines, man, used to be my best friend, dude. Love that guy to death, but fuck, he's being an asshole. Um, Hold on. Let's see. We got some more super chats here. Uh, level zero. Thanks for the $5 super chat. He just said, and a few bucks. I appreciate it. You guys know that we got to, we got to travel to these conventions. So if you got a couple bucks to throw my way, please do. You can do it at paypal.me backslash Josh, Joshua Smith chair 2020. Uh, I got to change that at some point, but that's what it is right now. Uh, level zero has also been a member for three months. Thank you. He says, Hey Dave, do you have any recommendations on good books to read on the articles of confederation? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So <laughs> two here actually, so number one, William Watkins, Crossroads of Liberty, that came out, I think, like three years ago, maybe four years ago. That's an excellent book on Articles of Confederation. It's pretty laudatory. He's an advocate of the Articles of Confederation, at least uh, compared to the current U.S. Constitution. And then um, Murray Rothbard's uh, Conceived in Liberty. I think he touches on that in volume four. Um, both very good. Both men were generally supportive of that framework over the Constitution. It's hard for me to you know, discount their arguments for that. Although I do think that sometimes the Articles of Confederation is a little bit um, overstated how much better it was because it allowed and sanctioned the printing of fiat currency, both by Congress and by the states. And it was virtually unamendable. And there's no really successful constitution in the history of the world that was virtually unamendable. For To, to amend the Articles of Confederation, you need 13 states unanimously agreeing to that and that was almost set to dissolve itself right yes me can we i mean uh you know what's up with the uh a convention of states dude how do we how do we push for that man <laughs> well convention okay so convention of states uh this was an idea brought about in the philadelphia convention namely by people like george mason that said what if the general government is the problem they're not going to have an incentive to fix their own mistakes right so that the member states could essentially bypass Congress entirely and amend the Constitution. Um, I think it's – I'm kind of agnostic on the idea of doing it. I used to be more outspoken in doing it. Um, I don't think that there's a big problem with it because I generally do accept the notion that even though the states might propose terrible constitutional amendments, I think that they would be more apt to um, reject some of the largesse and excess um, especially financially and the federal government. And today, you know, the federal government maintains the ability to propose constitutional amendments all the time. Right. It's not in, in, in the fact that like a Congress um, exists to do that is not enough for me to say that, you know, this should be disregarded entirely. But to me, it comes down to what are the amendments? Take the amendment proposals on an amendment by amendment basis and choose to reject them or accept them. Um, I guess I'm more pro than anti, but I don't have a strong opinion. I do have a strong opinion on nullification. That I think is well. More as somebody who writes for Tenth Amendment Center, I would hope that you would have a strong uh, opinion on nullification. Otherwise, what are you doing there, right? 
Absolutely. And you have Bolden. So, you know, he can talk circles around this, but, you know, we premise a lot of our activism at the 10th Amendment Center on nullification, the remedy that Thomas Jefferson called the rightful remedy against federal tyranny. And that's where the states stand up against the federal government that they created through a compact. Right. The federal government is the offspring of the states. So um, nullification is essentially the extension of that truth that they can exercise a power against the tyranny that that agent might exude. And it's been prescient and uh, applicable throughout U.S. history. I mean, this was done in the fugitive slave crisis in the 1850s where northern states stood up and said, hey, you can't come to our states and just take this man away in chains without a trial, without due process. We're standing up against it. Um, it saved the U.S. from suffering under the Sedition Act crisis in 1798, where the Federalists passed laws essentially making it illegal to criticize the president and members of Congress. So right. it's it's been it's been applied even recently um, to back uh, right to try legislation, some federal firearm uh, restrictions, things like that. And it doesn't get much news notoriety, but it is you know, an actual force in politics today. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, uh, of Michael Bolden and all this knowledge, that's another guy, man. He will, uh, he will make you sound so stupid, but he'll do it with a smile on his face. Smartest guy. He, I love Michael. And he's such a great human being beyond the whole political realm too. Yeah. Me having, guy. me having, uh, Michael Bolden and Scott Horton on the show at the same time was wild, dude. <laughs> wild. I was like, man, these guys, these guys together have more knowledge than any any humans I've ever met in my life. Hard to deny. Both those guys are legends, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Even though even though Scott likes to come on my show and tell me there's no proof for Nick Sarwark being a Fed, we disagree there. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. Nick Sarwark's a Fed, and I'll I'll say it till I go to my grave. Damn it. Uh, what does Stratford think? Yeah. What does Stratford think? Exactly. <laughs> I had uh, who did I have on the show recently that was talking about that? I don't remember. Maybe it was Steve from uh, Slow News Day, but we were talking about, cause, yeah, because we were talking about WikiLeaks, and he's a big uh, political uh, prisoner guy. He's really in depth on the uh, on the Assange case, and I was like, I was like, has has WikiLeaks ever been wrong about anything that they've put out? Everything that everything they put out has been factual, right? <laughs> I don't know. No, I I can't. Opine, I don't think. I don't think. I, I don't think WikiLeaks think... is a. Yeah, I mean, it's a reputable organization. Yeah, I don't think they've ever put out anything that was wrong. And here's this list of of what's being called high level operatives uh, that was taken from Stratford and whose name is on it. Lo and behold, Nicholas fucking Sarwark and his address. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's because my my uh, oh. my wife's my wife's brother got me a year subscription to the magazine from, from this fucking contractor for the military. Right. And, 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 uh, and I'm going, I'm going that this doesn't make any sense, dude. Like that's, first of all, why would any person get a self-respecting <laughs> libertarian, uh, a year long subscription to a strat for magazine. Right. Uh, but also this is horseshit. These are all. He operatives. did ask Mattis to join the party. He so did. Let's, he did. He, he, well, he said, and he said he'd vote for he'd vote for Dick Cheney or Hitler if they were the presidential <laughs> nominees for the Libertarian Party. I mean, this guy. Is there anything that he could that, listen? I think Tom Woods put it best. He may not be a federal agent, but if he were, could he be doing anything better? <laughs> and that's honest. I mean, it's hard to discount. Actually, I have to give him some credit because his reign as chair was one of the impetus for me to rejoin. So thank you, Nick, for that. Me too. That's you know I, that was that was what I I put my little essay that I put on Facebook the other day. It was you know uh, Ron Paul got me got me interested. Murray Rothbard radicalized me, and Nicholas Sarwark pissed me off enough to get involved. 
there's there's real wisdom in that that's really what that's really my that was you know it was the the war because i fought in the war right i I was i'm an operation iraqi freedom veteran i was on the uss constellation during uh iraqi freedom uh i got out there and i was politically homeless i i definitely didn't want to be a republican anymore uh they were warmongers to me you know we were in the george bush era uh, I wasn't, you, you'd have to kill me to get me in the Democrats. That's the only way I'd ever vote Democrat. Um, and, and that's, there's some truth to that as well. And then, uh, and then I found Ron Paul and Ron Paul got me excited, got me interested. Murray Rothbard completely radicalized me and Nicholas Sarwark pissed me off enough to get involved. I mean, that's really, that was my, my ascent, <laughs> you know, that was it. That was what it did. And, and I decided to run for chair of a national political organization, <laughs> sorry, a national political party. After being involved with the Libertarian Party for like a year and a half, maybe tops, um, and uh, and that's that's how mad he made me. That's that's how much he pissed me off. I was willing to run for chairman of a national political party to oppose this guy, <laughs> and I, I had no knowledge of what I was doing in 2017. I was just like, yeah, right. I got a dream and a blueprint. Let's go. <laughs> There's a lot to that. And when Heist was first on Tom Woods's show, I think he cited the fact that you know this is a real. Uh, kind of catalyst for many of us to join. He also said Bill Weld. Oh, so yeah. both of those reasons were were good enough to show us that hey, we might want to write this ship just a little bit. Well, I I mean you you can go back to the beginning of the Mises Caucus and and Mike Heiss and myself too. We'll, we'll there you'll find a ton of direct quotes that you know the caucus was started in direct defiance to Nicholas Sarwark and, and Bill Welts of the party. I mean that's what it was. That Nick Sarwark trash talking Tom Woods. And that petition and going after anti-fascist and going after all these things. That was why the caucus was started, dude. I mean, that was really the reason for the caucus. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of become this, this other monster now, and I'm a little worried about it. And I I think I've, I I make no qualms about being public about my, my concerns. Uh, but I still think it's the best vehicle, you know, and I'll still support Angela for chair, even though she obviously hates me or some shit. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, (laughs) Uh, man, we're getting close to the end of the, the public stream, but why don't, before we go, why don't we, uh, why don't you plug your books, let people know what they can get, what they're about, how they can find them, support you, all that great stuff, man. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. So www.davebenner.com. That's my main website. If you want my book, go to www.compactoftherepublic.com. Um, it goes right to the Amazon link, pick that up. It's you, you might not, uh, agree with all of it, but it's a defense of a constitution that's decentralized as opposed to one that would be nationalized. Obviously your audience now knows I am an anarcho-capitalist in the abstract, but uh, I think you might like it because even if you're not a constitutionalist, it shows how the U S constitutional system, which once was decentralized has been kind of eradicated over time. Also look for my upcoming book on Thomas Paine. It's going to be called tentatively Thomas Paine, a lifetime of radicalism toward the middle of next year. Um, And thanks for having me. Look for my writings at 10th Amendment Center and Mises Institute as well. Um, Please support Josh Smith for vice chair. He'd be an awesome vice chair and help him get to some of these state conventions. He could definitely use the donations for that. Thanks, man. I I really appreciate that. You know, it was uh, in 2017 and 2020, I had had a lot of uh, monetary support. It was how I was able to go to all these conventions. You know, I I spent a lot of my own money, too. Um, But now it's like I got to pick and choose where I spend my own money because I do have seven children in the house. So, uh, you know, the more help you guys give me, the more conventions I can get to. These driving conventions should be pretty easy for us. I I think, you know, we've we've kind of uh, resigned ourselves to taking the kids and 
you know, finding little cool stuff for the kids to do while I'm at the conventions and stuff. But um, I still got to fly to a lot of them. You know what I mean? If I want to go to Florida, I got to fly. If I want to go to uh, uh, Georgia, I got to fly. If I want to go to Texas, I got to fly. If I want to go to California, I got to fly. So, you know, the more help you guys can give me, the, the better. And I appreciate anything and, and everything. And uh, Choose us over Texas, same weekend. Is it the same weekend as Texas? <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah, but is. Texas has the second biggest delegation. Yeah, right? yeah. It's it's a tough argument. I have been, I have been to uh, the Texas County. State Convention twice. And I've only been to Tennessee once, so yeah. And, and last time I went to Tennessee, it was not the same party it is now. I don't think it, it's a little bit better. It's yeah. a little bit better. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I, you guys have lost a couple of my really some of my favorite uh, uh, libertarians there, though. Recently, I don't know what's going on there with my buddy down in the whiskey region. I won't. I won't drop names, but that made me a little a little sad. I'm missing some friends there, but likewise, likewise, yeah. we're trying to pull that guy back. So he's, we'll he's one of my favorites. Uh, when I was at the the 2020 convention, uh, your delegation. Uh, brought me a bottle from that gentleman of uh, gentleman's Jack, and I uh, I actually shared it with the Tennessee delega- delegation. I I sat there and took shots with uh, I jo- remember that yeah man. Josh Equal and David Saxton <laughs> and all these people that hate me. I was like I just want to I just want to take shots with you guys because you know it was like it was like the, the the Tennessee delegates. It was always a funny situation. Before we go, we'll talk we'll talk more about this in the members only. But the Tennessee delegation was always a weird thing to me because it was like they didn't like me. You know what I mean? And, and, and for the most part, I didn't like their positions on things all the time, yeah. but we, like, Likewise. but like when we were in, when we were together, like, in, you know, like I always had a good time with the Tennessee delegation and I liked them. I liked Josh equal, you know what I mean? And I liked, uh, uh, fucking Tom Arnold was like one of my favorite dudes, man. I love that guy. Cole, Cole Abel was just fantastic. I loved that guy. You know, uh, my, when I went to Tennessee, I went to his bar and hung out there and, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's got a bar and he was, he got elected uh, city council there in his town and, you know, these, these were cool people man i really liked them and uh, and it's it's unfortunate that because we have differing opinions on the party that uh that we can't get along the way we 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 could have back then um but i do still i still have a lot of respect for those people even if they're not in the same camp as me and even if they're they have some different differing policy uh positions than me i have respect for those people i wouldn't vote for them for the lnc so i get why they wouldn't vote for me for the lnc but um my first convention nobody in tennessee voted for me for, for uh for national chairman i don't think i got one vote from tennessee i wasn't a delegate but you'll look to see on the 2020 card there is one vote yes. for you yes i know my buddy <laughs> i'll take responsibility yeah it was you guys i think you guys and nevada were the only state that only had <laughs> one vote for me one uh and then we had states like oklahoma that unanimously <laughs> voted for me and florida that gave me like 80 percent of their vote and so you know it was it, it it evened out in the end, and I still think Joe Bishop Henchman stole the shit. I really do. I think there was a lot of the people on the national board think it was stolen, and that the uh, the numbers weren't correct. But you know, twenty twenty hindsight, right, brother? Twenty twenty two new frontiers, brother. New there we frontiers. go. There we go, Wait, brother. I appreciate the shit out of you. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours. If you could just give me like two minutes to close out the stream, we'll start the members only stream. Sounds good, man. Thanks, brother. Guys, go buy Dave's books. Seriously. Uh, I don't know if you, he, he, I don't think he said you could pre-order his Thomas Paine book, but, uh, definitely get that one. Go get the compact Republic. Definitely check it out. Uh, check out his writings at 10th amendment center. He is so cool. Honestly, one of my favorite people in the movement. So go support the man any way you can, uh, guys coming up tomorrow on the show. Conspiracy couch returns. Uh, I think for our third installment, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, unfortunately, Dan Smots cannot make tomorrow night's episode, so we have replaced him with the great comedian Adam Nutter. Uh, my friend Dave vs. Goliath, Dave Casey, will be there as per the usual. And 
comedian, most canceled comedian in history, Josh Denny, will join us for conspiracies. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, if you've seen Josh Denny anywhere, the guy's wild. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. He's like. He was on the Food Network for a while. He's been canceled from like everything he's ever done because he just doesn't give a shit. And he's a funny guy. Uh, I'm probably not going to monetize that that episode, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So come hang out. And of course, on Thursday, I'm going to be doing my live Q and A uh, to clear up a lot of this vice chair shit. Uh, I'm going to use a Zoom for that that holds a hundred people. And so that Zoom uh, meeting will be uh, uh, broadcast right here to the YouTube channel. So you guys, if you you know if you don't make it in the Zoom or you don't want to ask questions in person, you can ask questions in the chat of the show on YouTube. I'll try to get to as many of those as possible. Um, but also, you have the opportunity with the Zoom to uh, ask me face to face your uh, concerns, and I will answer them the way they need to be answered. Uh, I'm going to tell you guys straight up. I'm not going to I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I'm not going to lie to you. I will tell you my downfalls. Uh, what I think that I didn't do well over the last couple of years, um, but I'm not going to suffer half truths and misdirections and gaslighting about my work over the last five years. So be prepared for that. Uh, if you come to troll me, I'm going to smack you down. I promise. Uh, but that's the rest of the shows for the week. Friday will be off and we'll return next week with some great people. In fact, I'll have another good friend of mine from Tennessee on the show next week named Sam Shaw. He is uh, uh, an amazing dude. and It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot of really, really nerdy shit. Uh, comics and all that but uh go check out my sponsors of course toplopsa.com the man the myth the legend my good friend and partner on break the cycle where you can get this great fuck around and find out lady liberty gun hoodie that you see me wearing tonight by using btc at checkout for a 10 percent discount or guys seriously think about joining the patreon the subscribe star or my youtube channel you get into all, you get all the uh the exclusive content after hour shows uh you get all kinds of different perks on patreon you get into a private discord server with really great people like a lot of people you see in the chat tonight um but also uh you get top lobster's new gear up to two weeks before it goes to the general public at like a 30 percent discount so uh you're really helping me out you're helping out top lobster and uh right now with all the traveling that i need to do just a little bit a month helps really five bucks a month helps me get to new conventions so uh if you guys can do that please do but definitely support top lobster that man is doing a lot for this uh this movement and he needs all the help he can uh, with support, getting him the fuck out of New York. And, of course, executive producers of the show, AnthemPlanning.com, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Check them out today. See what they can do for your business, home, and personal life. They're doing a wonderful job that the government has historically sucked at much cheaper and much more efficiently if you own a business. Your family members own a business. If your neighbor owns a business, send them to Anthem Planning. Seriously. Uh, they're going to be able to do some things for them. Uh, that are really going to help them uh, save some money, save some time, and save some headaches. So go check them out. I promise you it'll be worth it. Uh, guys, I will see you tomorrow for another episode of Conspiracy Couch with Josh Denny, Dave Casey, and uh, the great Adam Nutter. Until then, don't forget to break the cycle. To explain the lyrics of my last song, they seem to contain a violent call to action and the person to frame. But I just landed in Minecraft. The helicopter part was in reference to GTA 5 and the things you do. So when any violence you commit, I am not an excuse because I just landed in Minecraft. Where Timber is my friend and is constantly cold. Accusations of incitement getting totally old. Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just landed in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force 
Unless it's due process and a trial, of course. And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse. In Minecraft, just in Minecraft. You're nothing, I mean, you know it. You'll try to get us, get your clothes, you COVID. 